This morning's scripture reading is from Mark chapter 4, verses 36 through 41. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Questions spark conversation and stimulate learning. When we ask, we learn. Jesus asked many questions during his ministry. But most of Jesus' questions were not asked to learn something he didn't already know. His questions were usually asked to teach us something we need to know. What can we learn from the questions Jesus asked? As we look at one of the questions Jesus asked, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4 today. So if you have a Bible or a device with the scriptures, you might turn over to Mark chapter 4. I would encourage you to not just be a passive consumer of our teaching time today, but to be an active participant. I think we have an opportunity every time that we're in a class, any time that we're hearing a sermon, we have an opportunity to search the scriptures and to, to really be an active part of the discovery process and what God is revealing to us. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 4 today. Before we get into the text today, though, let me again remind you, next Sunday, Centennial Celebration, November 6, 100 years as a light in this community. Here's the schedule for the day. It's also printed in the bulletin full day of activities. Let me just run over a couple of things. We have an early service, a worker service in the chapel. It's at 8, not 8.15, but you guys don't care about that because y'all are late service people anyway, right? 8 o'clock in the chapel for those who need or want that, and then from 8.30 to 9.30 over in the gym, we're going to have breakfast and fellowship time together. It's not just donuts, it's more than donuts. It'll be a great time of fellowship, a great time to see old friends, to make new friends, to encourage each other. So that'll be 8.30 to 9.30 in the gym. And then at 9.30, classes, not our normal classes, uh, different classes, main, three main classes <clears throat> taught by former ministers. One will be here in the auditorium, one in the fellowship hall, one in the chapel. And you can read more about those in your bulletin. Also, our uh, Spanish-speaking ministry will have a special class inviting Bob Young back to, uh, to speak with that group. And then our campus ministry will have a special class and reunion over in the quad. So a lot going on at 9.30 next Sunday. And then at 10.40, we're all in here together. So that means a few things. That means it's going to be crowded. It's going to be crowded. So please be a gracious host. And that means park away and sit up close, okay? Park away and, and sit up close. Yeah, if you come in Sunday morning, help people find a seat, but also if you could sit down as close as you can, we need to fill in all of these areas. We're going to be packed. And so squeeze in and act like you like each other, and we'll, we'll get through a, an hour service uh, sitting closely together. We do want to be gracious hosts next Sunday. We want to do that every Sunday, right? But next Sunday, you're going to have lots of opportunities to do that because we're going to have a lot of guests here. Like I said last week, if someone's sitting in your pew in your spot, it's okay. It's all right. We're going to forgive them for one Sunday, right? We're just going to go find another spot closer to the front so we can leave those seats for our guests. And then that afternoon, by the way, next Sunday is time change day. Did you know that? We, 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 yeah. 
something else going on. So we'll, we'll change our clocks next Sunday. And because we uh, lose a little bit of daylight, uh, we're going to, at 4.30, gather in Angel Park. We have a, a great and exciting announcement about Angel Park and some plans that we have uh, to bless this church, but also our community. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to have a prayer of dedication over that, over that space. And we're going to spend some time in fellowship together. And there's going to be food trucks and we're going to give you a meal ticket or a meal voucher. So your meal is included at the food truck. We want as many people as possible to be a part of that wonderful time of fellowship and a prayer of dedication over Angel Park. So again, a lot going on next Sunday, but we want you to be a part of it. We want you to reach out, to go on your Facebook and whatever else, and, and if you're connected to former members, maybe local or maybe at a distance, invite them back. At least invite them if they can't be here in person to tune in to the live stream we want them to be a part of that it's going to be a great day and like I keep saying like we all keep saying this isn't about us this is about God what a great opportunity it is for us to point to God to point people to God what God has done what God continues to do in the life and through the heart of this congregation we are blessed to be a part of this church family all right so in Mark chapter 4 we see the question and it's an important question from Jesus. It's a question that all of us, I think, have to face quite often. It's a question that I personally feel like God is sometimes just looking me in the eye, asking me this question. And here's the question Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Fear is something we all experience, don't we? Now, maybe we don't call it fear, maybe we call it anxiety, maybe we call it worry, maybe we call it stress, but fear is something that all of us understand we experience sometimes we live in constant fear for some reason this time of year we go looking for fear people may pay money to be afraid they go to scary movies and haunted houses I don't do that anymore I've I've timed out on those things which means too old for that I never really enjoyed those things anyway I just did them because my friends were doing them right peer pressure and now I'm, I'm too old to care about that, so I, I don't do those things. But, but you don't have to go looking for fear in this world, do you? It's, it's everywhere. We understand that there are things in this world that make us afraid, that cause us stress, that cause us anxiety. But here's the thing about fear. It can do good work. Sometimes fear does good things because fear is an instinctive uh, feeling. It's a response. And so if you feel... A, a threat or you perceive a threat whatever that threat may be you're afraid uh, you know you're alarmed you're going to do something you're going to act to avoid if you can that that threat last weekend I was down at my parents house and was doing some work for their house and my siblings were with me my brother and I were outside pulling weeds and trimming bushes and we were on the side of the house and and I was just noticing on my parents gate to the fence that goes into the backyard there's one of those big black and red signs that says beware of dog I thought they don't even own a dog <laughs> there hasn't been a dog in their house since I was a teenager and I had a dog why do they have this sign there I'm like dad why do you have that sign there my dad likes that sign he keeps it on there because he thinks it discourages intruders <laughs> that they're going to see that sign and go oh we can't go in there there's a dog in there are you sure? I don't hear any barking. I don't see any evidence of a dog. No, there's a sign. There must be a dog. But you know, it makes sense, right? I mean, if you go up to a house, I know this has happened to me. 
You know, when you're on a mission trip or you're doing a door knocking uh, project and you, you uh, approach the house and you see one of those signs, you're like, oh no, here we go, right? You knock on the door and then you hear the bark. <laughs> like there's a Rottweiler, there's a pit bull, there's something in there that's gonna eat me, I gotta go. See, that's what fear does. Fear triggers a reaction. Fear triggers or prompts a response. And so fear can do good work. But fear can also be crippling, can't it? Especially chronic fear. And really it comes down to a choice that you and I have to make. And it's not necessarily the choice, am I going to be afraid? The choice is much deeper than that. The choice is, what are you going to do with your fear? What are you going to do with your fear? And so let's get to Jesus' question. And then in this text, begin to peel back some of the layers and really talk about and think through and explore this tension-filled tug of war between fear and faith that we often live in, that we often experience. So in Mark chapter 4, as Marty said, Jesus has, has just um, shared some parables, some stories that reveal the true nature of the kingdom, that point to the kingdom of God, this, this otherworldly kingdom that Jesus is revealing in his teaching, in his life. And so the people are listening to these parables about the kingdom, and many of them are about to see the power behind the kingdom. So in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, let's look at this text again. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall broke, uh, came out, came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion the disciples woke him and said to him teacher don't you care if we drown Jesus and his disciples are in a boat and there's some other boats there they're going across the sea of Galilee which is really a lake a huge lake this lake is situated in a basin it's a beautiful area this lake is is beautiful. The Sea of Galilee is just quite a sight to see, especially at, at sunset. But it's located in this basin with hills and mountains surrounding it, and so sometimes the cool air from the Mediterranean comes over and clashes with the warm, humid air in that basin. And when that happens, a storm can quickly rise up. That's what happens on this day. A storm comes up. And what is Jesus doing in the storm? Evidently, he's asleep in the stern of the boat, positioned on a cushion, which is probably like a, a sandbag that's used as a ballast in the boat. But these disciples, some of them are fishermen. This isn't their first rodeo. They've been on the open waters before. They've seen storms before. But on this day, how do they respond? How do they react? As that boat is certainly moving up and down in the swells of the Sea of Galilee. And as the waves are washing over, crashing over the side of the boat. If you've ever been out on a boat in a storm, you know that feeling. That is, to me, that is one of the worst feelings in the world. And as the boat is moving up and down in the swells and the waves are washing over, how do the disciples respond? What do they do? They respond like most of us would, in panic and in fear. And notice what they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? First of all, notice how they address Jesus, teacher, rabbi. You've been talking 
this whole time. You just told us all these stories, all these parables. We need some action. You know, don't just be a teacher. Won't you practice what you preach? We need you to do something. Don't you care? And they question Jesus' concern for them. I mean, think about that. Don't you care about us? Because in our minds, we know that if you really cared about us, this is what you would do. Boy, how many times do we do that? Maybe you know what it's like to face a terrifying, an overwhelming circumstance, a storm, and you feel like God is asleep. Don't you care, God? Why don't you do something? Not just something, why don't you do specifically what I want you to do, what I think you should do, what anyone would do in your position if they truly cared about me. Maybe you know what it's like to go through the storm and feel like God is distant or disengaged from what you're going through. You're just hanging on for dear life, bailing water out the whole time. What is at the root of the disciples' panic of the disciples response it is fear and what is fear well here's my definition of fear fear is a reaction to the unwanted possibility of bad news that something bad is going to happen and it's not just something bad it's something horrible I mean play this thing out that's what the disciples did they were playing this thing out water keeps coming in the boat the boat keeps going up and down this storm is not showing signs of going away we are going to drown this boat is going down it's going over we're going out this is not going to end well does your mind ever do that does your mind ever race with fear and anxiety as you play out the possible scenarios we often skip ahead, don't we, to the worst possible scenario. Yep, I'm going to lose my job. Yep, we're not going to have any money. Yep, I have cancer. Yep, she's going to break up with me. Yep, this whole thing's going to fall apart. Yep, we're all going to drown. <laughs> that's what we do. You see, that's what fear does. It backs us in a corner. It backs us in a corner and it says things are bad and they're going to get worse. It propels us from this present moment to a future moment when everything is horrible. It's no wonder that fear is so debilitating, that it cripples us, that it's so damaging. So what did they do with their fear? They did the only thing they knew to do. They woke Jesus up. They woke Jesus up who was somehow sleeping during this violent storm, which I think is just incredible. But don't miss the irony here. In their deepest, most profound moment of need, they needed Jesus to do something. What was Jesus doing? He was sleeping. It won't be long before Jesus is in Gethsemane. In his deepest, most profound moment of need, what will some of those disciples be doing? Sleeping. They wake Jesus up. He gets up. I wonder if he like stretched for a moment, kind of looked around, and then he began to speak. He had a conversation with nature. Back in our text, verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? 
do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. You see what happened there? The disciples went from one fear to another fear, to a greater fear. In fact, when you look at the text there, in your English Bible, there are two different words used, right? Afraid, why are you so afraid? And then they were terrified. In the original language, they are two different words. What's interesting is the second one, terrified, it's actually repeated. It's like fear upon fear, double fear. They went from one fear to a greater fear. First, they were afraid of this storm that they had no control over. And then they were terrified of the one who has control over all of nature. They ask, who is this? Who could this be in our boat with us? And that question, who is this, is the thesis for Mark's gospel. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he writes and arranges these stories about Jesus in such a way as to answer that question, who is Jesus? He must be more than just a mortal man. Anyone who can get up and speak to nature and calm the wind and calm the waves and still the storm, he's not just an ordinary person. I can't imagine being on that boat that day, the realization coming over them. And after calming the storm with just a few words, what does Jesus do? He turns to his disciples and he asks that question, our question today. The question, why are you so afraid? Two-part question, do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? What does it mean to live from a place of faith rather than a place of fear? What does it mean not to let fear and anxiety control us? To explore those questions, I think we need to first understand or at least talk about the unique relationship between fear and faith. You see, at first glance in our story, it appears that Jesus presents faith and fear as a dichotomy, that you can't have faith if you have fear, and if you have fear, you don't have faith like he was comparing apples to apples, or not him, but us as we read this text. That faith is a polar opposite of fear, right? After all, Jesus said, why are you so afraid? Do you have no faith? Your fear is up here. That means your faith is down here. And we even package this relationship, don't we, with this expression, faith over fear. And I think this text and other texts in Scripture really validate that expression faith over fear as long as we understand what it means and apply it in the right way because like so many other things in our world today that expression has been commandeered it's been taken and in many respects it's been weaponized by some used against others who see things differently on certain issues so what does it mean to live, to function from a place of faith. You see, the Bible tells us what faith is. While faith and fear op, uh, often work in opposing directions, to say that they are total opposites is really an oversimplification. There's more going on here. You see, because fear is a feeling. Faith is an action. 
Fear is an emotion. Faith is a decision. And so it's really not comparing apples to apples. As I said, the Bible tells us what faith is. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is being sure of what you hope for, being certain or being sure of what you cannot see. Well, how can you be sure of something? Where does certainty come from? We sometimes say, I feel certain about this. But certainty is not a feeling. Certainty is a choice. I choose to be sure. Based on what is happening, and sometimes despite what is happening, I choose to be sure of what I hope for in Christ. I choose to be certain of what I cannot see. I choose to see the world with a different set of eyes, spiritual eyes. Faith and fear can coexist in a person. Consider the father a few chapters later in Mark chapter 9. This father is a desperate father. His son is not doing well at all. He can't speak. He has, the text says, this, this spirit about him, this evil spirit. It throws his body to the ground. His body thrashes violently. He foams at the mouth. Do you think this father was afraid? Do you think he felt anxiety? Do you think in his mind that he fast-forwarded to the worst possible scenario regarding his son? Any parent would. You would be so concerned. You'd be so afraid. And Jesus comes along, and he recognizes Jesus, and he says, if you can do something, please have pity on us. And Jesus says, if, I love that, if, everything is possible to him who believes. And I want you to remember, or maybe see for the first time, that desperate father's response, because I think it speaks straight from where many of us live. In Mark chapter 9, verse 24, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. You say, wait a second. <laughs> you either believe or you don't believe. What do you mean, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief? You see, those can coexist, can't they? In this complicated web of tension, this, this tug of war going on inside of us. And maybe a, another way to say it is, I do have faith, help me overcome my fear. Again, fear is a feeling, it's an emotion that drives us to action. Remember the beware of dog sign? You see that, all of a sudden you're afraid there could be a big dog there, and so you do something. You act on that fear. Faith is an action. Fear can drive you towards faith. But disbelief and doubt, those are also responses. Those are also actions. And it wasn't that the disciples on the boat in the storm that day felt afraid as much as it was what they did with their fear or what they let their fear do to them. What, did, what happened? They doubted the power of Jesus and they doubted the concern of Jesus. Remember what they said? Don't you care? Don't you care if we drown? Feelings of fear and anxiety will produce something in you. You will either let that fear convince you that you need to take control, that you're in a situation where you feel out of control. Don't you know the disciples felt that way in that storm? We can't control this. We can't do anything. 
You know what that feels like. We all do. And so fear can, can prompt you to say, I need to grab control. I need to take control of this situation. And many times what we do is we say, God, you are not in control. I'm going to take over. And we live and we act like we're the only ones in the boat. Like God is not in the boat with us. Or sometimes fear draws us to a place of disbelief and doubt, and we question the power of God or the concern of God. God, don't you care? Don't you care what I'm going through? Any good God would care and would do something. Or you can allow that fear, that normal fear that you feel, to take you to a place of complete surrender and trust. So here's the bottom line. In the face of fear, act in faith. When you are faced with fear, act in faith. Again, fear is about control or the lack of it. And I may not be able to control what is happening to me, but I can control my response. And a faith response to fear admits that I have no control, that I have to look to God, that I have to surrender to him, to the one who has control over everything and as great and as powerful as I perceive this threat to be whatever that threat is whatever that storm is the truth is God is greater and God is more powerful Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell are not two sparrows sold for a penny Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You see, whatever you fear most in life, and I'm not, I'm not talking about dogs or sharks or snakes or heights. Those, those fears that get at our hearts. Those fears that don't leave us at night that wake us up that cause us not to sleep whatever you fear it does not compare as powerful as controlling as you think it is it does not compare to the power that God possesses God is over all and in all and through all and so it doesn't mean that we charge through life waving the banner faith over fear in such a way that that shows no spiritual discernment. Faith does not negate spiritual discernment. In fact, faith is born out of spiritual discernment and must continue and grow in the context of being discerning and wise in a community of believers. It also doesn't mean that Jesus is always going to stand up and calm the wind and stop the storm in your life you know that many of you are living through the storms right now you know what that's like but it does mean he'll be with you he hasn't jumped out of the boat he hasn't left you his power his presence are still there God is with you and that's enough let me say that again God is with you and that is enough his spirit dwells in you. His presence and his power are still at work in our world today. And while fear challenges God's capacity to do something and to care, 
Faith simply yields to him and acknowledges that his power and his providence is supreme, that he is greater than anything that may come after us, any storm we may face, any threat we may experience. Scripture uses a word for what we're talking about. We sometimes use a word for what we're talking about. The word is trust. Trust. You see, the flaw of the disciples in the boat came down to trust, didn't it? That's what it really came down to. They didn't really trust Jesus. They acted like they were in the boat alone, that he wasn't there. Do you ever find yourself living that way? Living in the boat alone? Sometimes we think that's right. We think we're all alone. We forget that God is with us and that his power will sustain us. Maybe you've seen this little video clip that's all over social media. It's, uh, it's quite comical. I, I muted it because this kid is screaming. It's really loud, but I'll try to describe it. Go ahead and play the video. This kid is hanging on to this rope as he's in the water. He's panicking. He's screaming at the top of his lungs. And then this girl, maybe his sister, comes by and shows him. <laughs> hey, you can put your feet on the ground. You can stand up. It's okay. So he goes from screaming to immediately like, oh, okay, this is all right. Yeah, this is good. <laughs> I love that video because I think that that illustrates how many of us live our lives. And my point is not that whatever you're going through is not as serious as it seems. That's not the point at all. The point is, I think sometimes as we are hanging on for dear life, as we are screaming at the top of our lungs to God, God is trying to get our attention and just saying, hey, hey, you can put your feet down. You can stand up. You can stand up. It's, it's going to be okay. I think what God is saying to us is you can stand up on the solid ground of your faith. You can trust God. Will you be afraid sometimes? Yes. Are there things to fear in this life? Yes. But fear is a feeling. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? You can let it move you to distrust and disbelief. You can let it move you to a place where you try to take control of God because you say he doesn't have the power or the concern to do anything, or you can let it propel you toward him in full surrender, trusting him. Whatever happens, if you're tired of living in fear, give up. Give up control. Surrender to God. You're fearing the wrong things. However great, however powerful, the things that you fear are, they pale in comparison to the power and the greatness of God. So fear him, revere him, submit to him, trust him. And that's a choice that only you can make. No one can make that choice for you. You make that choice today. And that choice for you may look a little different because you're at a different place in your life. Maybe for some of you, that choice to surrender means literally to surrender your life for the very first time to Jesus, confessing that you believe Jesus is who he says he is, and you want to belong to him, to be baptized into Christ, to be clothed with Christ, to live as a new creation. Do that today. Maybe for you it means making some changes, 
surrendering certain parts of your life that you're hanging on to because you are scared to death to let them go. Let them go. Give them to God. You are not in the boat alone. God is with you. And he does care. And he does have the power to help you stand up. So stand on your faith. If we can do something for you today, let us do that. A couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in a parlor, a little room right off this hallway behind me. You can exit out any of these doors, go there. They'll encourage you, they'll pray for you, or you can come down to the front. Maybe today is the day that you're ready to surrender to Christ. Don't wait. I invite you to come as we stand and sing. Let's stand together.